0: This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Vogue. Hi, everyone. My name's Joris Peels, and this is another edition of the 3D Pod with Maxwell Vogue. I do, Max.
1: I'm good, Joris. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. I'm great. Uh, still recovering from Forum Next. Still got a ton of work to catch up to, but uh, really enjoyed seeing everyone again. And uh, it was absolutely a wonderful to uh, the show, and it was really wonderful to see everyone. How are you That's doing? Great.
1: I'm good. I did not get to attend Forum Next, but Aww. hopefully next year, and then we can all maybe we do a show from there or something. Yeah, we'll maybe.
0: See. Or you can just come see us in February at Out Manufacturing Strategies when we're going to come to your hometown
1: in New York. That, well, that's true. In New York, then I have no excuse that I will just show up. So. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Who do we well, have on the show today?
0: Well, we've got Juan Mario Gomez. And Juan Mario got started at GE Aviation. And if he only would have stayed there, 3D printing would have come to him. But after 16 years of GE Aviation, he continued to the rest of GE. He worked uh, uh, testing machines. He was the executive general manager for North America and measurement and control. Then he became a product manager at Radiography. Uh, And then he decided to start his own company. And he decided to start his own metal three D printer, and that was called Exact Metal. And he's been working on that for around like six, nearly seven years now. And uh, yeah, so so that's a the, quite the journey. And uh, Holmeyer is trying to make metal printing much more accessible, much more something that many more people can do. So so that's a very
2: laudable goal. So uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Super excited to be here um, with both of you, and appreciate the time.
0: Yeah. So so first off, like like. It's kind of like you were—you spent all this time at GE, that the, like this giant corporate. What made you all of a sudden say, "You know what? I want to start my own
2: firm." That's a great question. Uh, when at GE, when I started, uh, I was working in aviation. We were designing—I was designing jet engines. I had them a ball. Um, we were the best in the world doing that. We were super technical, and we were kind of charting our own path. And and that's the culture that I grew up at GE—just set your own path and dictate what the dictate where people are going and the people who are working next to me just were the best in the world and that was super as i started going through ge i i went through different um uh, steps going from just hard hardcore engineering i mean throwing birds into engines exploding them testing them at, at test cells designing them and it was just super exciting and it gave me a strong fundamentals on not just engineering but thinking and business and over time, I transitioned to the business side and in there I started doing a lot of marketing sales business business management business activities, and started several companies with n g uh, one was a leasing company, another one was uh emergency services for airplane a- aircraft engines and the last one was uh uh inspection technologies g inspection technologies, which was a started with the idea of taking industrial taking into the industry medical technology that GE had in imaging and x-ray and CT, and CT and ultrasonics and other technologies that we had been using for many years as a competitive advantage, but moving that over into our, into our business. So me and two other guys started a company um, within GE that did x-ray uh, and we brought digital x-ray detectors into the marketplace to inspect things like plates and engines and Parts in cars and things like that, and we started realizing that people really wanted that, um, and they created a lot of value that we, as a company, had used for many years. But it was not available in the marketplace, and typically the marketplace was twenty or thirty years behind GE in the adoption of this type of medical technologies. So we launched a company. People liked it, and so we decided to okay, GE, we need to be big. So we went both we went both organically and inorganically. Uh, we bought several companies. Uh, And then it gave me the foundation to really understand not only uh, technology and and products and and technology space, but also go to market channels, how to sell, where to sell, how to position the product into those product lines and things like that. And we grew that from zero to three quarters of a billion. And in there, I realized all the fundamentals that I started with in terms of being the best in what we did and uh, taking care of customers and stuff like that was really there but I really enjoyed small companies. Um, GE was great and still is a great company. But I liked the idea of uh, moving fast, uh, working with less bureaucracy, and moving quickly to what the customer wants. So when I left GE, I was more trying to see what should I do. And I was looking more to be more an investor. But then I met I met um, these two young guys that were trying to put a, a metal 3D printer together for multi-material printing. When I met them, they had no money, uh, and but they had actually put a printer together with fifteen thousand dollars, and it printed metal, and it was a hodgepodge. It was a if you want to see a maker product, it was a maker product. So we sat down together and realized, well, this is kind of cool, but multi is still a long way from being really adopted. And what the market really needs in 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 this type of space is affordability. The technology has been available for a long time, and we should bring launch a company the premise that people want less expensive 3D printers in metal, and that, that, that value is there, but it's just not accessible into a marketplace as a whole. And that was the premise for exact metal, and that was seven years ago.
0: And then, well, one thing I want to ask you, I think, I think about this period of GE, were you there? Because you were there, in like the when GE was this mega corporation that now is still very strong in certain areas, like uh, aviation and stuff like that. But it was this mega that corporation it that was <laughs> the, the gold standard for everything, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. what was it like that? That kind of that humbling of GE? that, that, is that was that kind of? Could you describe this being traumatic? I could imagine that could be very traumatic. let's say.
2: Yeah, it's a complex question that has many, many answers. Uh, for me, it was our realization that that we were, when I started, we were the best in the world. And then over time, um, that idea of being the best at what we did and taking care of customers and, and, and being financially strong and, and delivering started changing. And it didn't change instantaneously. It took many years, but it, it just migrated into a place where the corporation started in my mind, just not being as strong as it was before. And you see it now pivoting back to what it used to be. And, and now that segmenting and, and focusing on the strong product lines that it was and and developing a strong balance sheet and stuff like that was, it's, it's nice to see for me as an OG person, uh, getting that company to be where it's fundamentally strong and, and not be in places that it, it wasn't. So for me, that's nice. It was traumatic uh, for individuals because uh, it was a, a change, but but now I see the spark in the eyes when I see my old colleagues, and I see their spark back in their eyes, and that—that's nice to see.
0: Okay, that's wonderful. I've been curious about that. I never thought I'd, I'd get anyone to kind of really explain it. So thank you for that. So, mm-hmm. so exactly, really, you wanna,
2: it's yours. It's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. Oh, uh-huh. many, many aspects. But for me, as a, just an individual person, it, it was. Uh, We had a very strong balance sheet. We were designing jet engines, power turbines, wind turbines, uh, incredible healthcare equipment, and that was great, but there were areas that were not as strong, and they were using the balance sheet in in different ways. And um, It's nice to see that the company's back to its fundamentals and where it's really strong and not as diluted in places that probably wasn't meant to be.
1: Yeah, GE finance didn't make sense.
2: (laughs) That's another way of putting it. Uh, But um, uh, when, when you use a AAA balance sheet and you're renting trucks right. um you start wondering what are you really doing and and you see the investor started getting to it, and then it, it got complicated and i'm, I'm this much I'm curious, much more complex I mean, than i can explain
1: no no totally fair i'm very curious so that you mentioned like you started these companies initially inside of ge i'm just vaguely curious as like what is the like, ge had a mechanism or has a mechanism internally to allow you to like start an internal company if you will or is that an expression so to speak or is, is it a what is uh, we it?
2: Were, we were we were always looking for growth uh, we had very mm-hmm. uh, very uh, very high standards of goal of, of growth and um there was opportunities for growth creation um but it was it was um it was kind of funny because uh, there was opportunities and the and mar- uh the, they were there and and so when when it made sense and it started moving forward it, it worked really well and you can see uh where the companies that they work when i started them they we grew them and we had a strong financial support, a strong technical support to be able to move. And then we we could open many doors that many, many small companies couldn't do. Uh, And it it was very good. Um, And the pressure was very high because you say, okay, go try this thing, but now you're going off the norm. And if it doesn't work, you just kind of uh, took a jump down the cliff and you have no parachute. And there was, if it doesn't work, you're not going to say, oh, go do something else, nice pat in the back. It it had to work. Uh, And- I guess that's the same as the, uh, starting a new company on your own, but but there was different when you're a larger corporation. It just it could not fail, um, and if it failed, everything as a your your career was nice pat on the back when nobody would give you credit for that. And the nice thing is that there was many people to help out. So when you got in trouble, there was a there was a cushion, and and it didn't be like oh uh, you ran out of cash or whatever. I mean th- there was a lot of pressure. But it was there. It was slow in that you, you na- needed to convince many, 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 many more people than maybe a startup does. Um, it, so that was difficult. Um, and the pressure for success was very high. Yeah. When you when you have a company and you start a company, let's say you're doing a million dollars or two million or five million or 10 million. Well, that's the rounding error of the rounding error of the rounding error, IG. And so it, you need to grow fast and you need to grow quickly and and... Otherwise, you're just not going to succeed within that system.
0: And and what was it like for you then to all of a sudden be there in this kind of really small scale where you're like, I have to pay for the office Microsoft Office license myself, and I oh. go, you know, and I will go down to the copy shop. I guess, you know, this, this what was it like operating. I mean, right. I remember
1: those fun things that we have to do?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> small, small company for me. For me, when we had bought several companies um, that were small, I just saw how nimble, how fast, how full customer focused they were. How they didn't spend half their life in PowerPoint and and reporting up. And for me, that was exciting. Just seeing that type of company. It, of course, uh, I mean I'm going to make the problem you just said about serving coffee or picking up coffee, whatever. Uh, we launched a company and COVID hit, and so that was absolutely brutal. Uh, we were people were reacting pretty well to us; they liked our premise of exact metal and its affordability and accessibility. And then the market dried up instantaneously. We were shipping machines in 90 days. Uh, 90 days we had no orders. 90 days we had no backlog, and. And that was brutal. Um, but what's cool about it is that the G training kicked in. And so it wasn't the first time that I had gone through a downturn. I said, oh, we as a team had gone through a downturn. I have uh, several colleagues that are XG with me, and we just knew how to play, uh, knew what we needed to do, um, need, knew where to go to find answers. Um, and we just started working what we had been trained to do for 30 years. <laughs> And and that was absolutely fantastic. I think uh, if we didn't have that and be able to really move quickly and kind of know that even though nobody knew COVID was so brutally hard for all companies and nobody knew what was going to happen, we kind of knew how to get, play the game. And we just didn't, we were on our own and we didn't know where the bottom was, but we knew what we needed to do. And, and that helped a lot. Um, not everybody can do what we did i mean a lot of company a lot of people go into a small company and they collapse but uh, we've been able to bring people that like a small company that want to do that and we also have people that have been there before in, in a larger company and just know what what needs to be done and set it up correctly so that it can grow and be successful and that has been a nice balance for me of of being able to do that i love a small company i just the fact that I can go talk to customers and listen to what I want and then we can actually say, well, I would like this change and we can pivot on the spot. Uh, last, I was at Formix last week, like you all, uh, you were as well, and being able to decide on the spot what we need to change for the product is something that we it would take years at GE to do. And not because it's bad or good, it's just because a small company can move so much quicker um, and i can do things that are smaller and taken and, and it takes a long time to steer a big ship and and for me that's very exciting
0: and so how did you first get started? so you you have these this young team that have a kind of printer but mm-hmm. well for 15k for a metal printer yeah uh, oh yeah, I, yeah, well, the parts
2: a- I i would i would tell you that uh, once I realized what we needed to do, uh, I don't know if I would have started metal, but 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 you,
1: you never would if you asked. Yeah, yeah. uh,
2: was like, what, what we what what we started with was nothing to w- what it looked at a final product, but but it it was it was it was a step that I was I'm glad that we took.
0: Okay, and then and then how did you first get started? Did you look for
2: financing or try to do the product? What was your where were your priorities? Uh, so, so we the Exact Metal. We, we launched Exact Metal with uh, trying to make sure that we run this like a real company, even even though we're small, we are um, we're, we're self financed, um, and we we of course had economic development money and things like that for from the local economy, uh, local community in the state of, of the Commonwealth, Pennsylvania. But from the beginning, we've been running to this: uh, let's run a company that's fundamentally sound. It's a company that that's there for uh, a long time. And that is going to grow within the space uh, that, and with, with orders from customers, um, and and that's that's needs to be and will be our primary cash flow uh, vehicle. But that's more financial and, and activities. When we launched the company, we we said, look, um, the market needs the premise for the company is that the market needs less expensive machines. There's people that want to buy this, but but they just haven't been able to that. And we launched our first product at, 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 Rap- at Rapid in Pittsburgh in 2017. Immediately, I started seeing people's eyes. We, we came to this booth. Uh, we had a tiny little booth in the middle of a uh, big hall. And, and I had people that were market leaders in the industry be the 10, 20 people first to the booth and wanted to see what we were doing. And then I started realizing, oh, well, there's a lot of interest because here are the chief engineers of this or the CTOs, the CEOs of these companies. And they're in line wanting to look at our parts and what we're doing and, and taking pictures. And, and and that type of discussion went for a whole year when there was people just in line wanted to see what we were doing and re- made me realize that at least people were interested. But really what made me realize is that People were stepping in and said, I, I just can't, I like what I like to get in, but I just can't afford the risk of, of $3 million, a million dollars. I just, that's too much money for this risky technology. It's too difficult to start. I just want to start the journey and, and be successful. But the the if you can reduce the barrier to entry in regards to price, that's what they were looking for. And I can just see that in people's eyes. And, and we started... The, at Pittsburgh, somebody wanted to give us an order right on the spot, and I was, well, wow, people really want that, and that, that was the validation that really started going. I was, that was our first test to see, well, people are really going to want this. Uh, do people really want the less expensive printer? And 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 through COVID, that was really tested. People were saying, look, I, I want this printer, I just don't have the money right now, but keep going. And through COVID. Uh, we, right after the first three months of COVID, three, six months of COVID, our sales restarted again. And, and since then, we haven't stopped.
1: What do you think differentiates your printer from the other metal printers on the market?
2: We just so focus on price. Uh, we, <laughs> the, the, and it has to be. I mean, yeah, um, no, no. The, but, but, but uh, we also have learned a lot. Uh, when we first started, we learned that in, in metal 3D printing, uh, you cannot not meet the mission of the part. Uh, so if you go there and you try to say, well, it's a part, but it's really not metal compared to the solutions that do exist today. If you don't have the densities, if you don't have the the part quality, then people are going to say, look, I I have a solution that works from somebody else. We also launched a company what we would call the XM200C. Uh, that was our first product, and it was uh um we were saving some money in the bill, in the bomb in regards to cost. By having a less expensive, we attacked the, how, how to move the, the laser beam around the powder bed uh, by using an XY gantry as opposed to using a um, traditional Gavan armor mirror uh, setup. In there, we, we learned that we produced beautiful, beautiful parts, but we also learned that uh, the architecture that we had picked on the XY gantry was just too heavy and it didn't move quickly enough. So even though uh, we can print, if we were printing a brick, we can print to probably 80% of speed of the Galvo, but we were printing a traditional looking 3D printed part like a heat exchanger or supports or teeth or anything like that, that thin wall features, we were uh, uh, up to a tenth of the speed of the Galvo system. And we quickly realized that we could not be a short change solution uh, to the problem. So we there is a space for less expensive printers, but there's no space for printers that don't perform and you can see a little bit of that in the market in other technologies that have kind of tried to come up into metal and you see them kind of struggling because people don't need if you're gonna get a plastic part of the whole thing that just is looks like metal, then don't bother uh-huh and 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 the industry told us hard you better have a good product the part cannot be qualif- uh, this uh, sacrificed in terms of quality. The printer time needs to perform, the, set, the machine needs to execute. They're, they're, they're betting big into the machine works. And so we, we, we worked really hard on just taking cost out. Uh, we hard, look hard at, at making sure that we run a, a very solid company that's that's not overburdened by cost structure so that we can bring to the market less expensive printers and, and do so with aggressive pricing. We also realized that if we're going to go into bringing less expensive, less expensive printers, then we need to change our go-to-market strategy. Uh, when I was at GE, I was running a company. Uh, I was running an organization in Europe, and I had a big operation in Germany. And but I was uh, spending a time also in the United States. And I would just hate to hear when somebody say to me, "Well, we have to wait till the Germans wake up." to fix the customer's problem. So let's say Apple was down or uh, Ford or GE or whoever a company in the United States and the machine went down and we had to wait for the customer, the the, the team in Germany to wake up to fix their problem. That to me was an unacceptable answer. And it's even more uh, of an issue when the printers don't cost or, or the machines or whatever you sell them don't cost a million, two million, three million dollars. People don't have the patience for that. So we went very, very aggressive, not only in a good quality printer, but we also realized we needed to be very distributive in our go-to-market strategy, both in sales and in service. So we went very hard after trying to uh, align ourselves with local uh, sales and service organizations that were very strong, that had a distribution channel, that had service technicians that could do the job locally. So if we're going to sell a machine in Finland, it needs to be in Finnish with a salesperson in Finnish that does the application in Finnish and has a service technical team in Finland. And otherwise, we just cannot grow the company. Um, Don't you
1: find that that slows your growth as a result because you have to find those partners?
2: Uh, No. Uh, and uh, Yes, at first. And and, and, um, it's difficult. It's very, very important. Uh, to, to understand that it's going to be very hard to set it up, both in, in terms of when you have to realize we, we're launching the company and we're trying to get uh, sales partners all around the world and all validating us. And it's at the same time that other companies had introduced FDM technology that based on metal, and the distributors started realizing that it, it had some challenges. And so they were very, very keen to not sign up on, on a metal printer unless they understood it really worked. And so yes, it took a lot of time, but frankly, if we didn't do that and we didn't want uh, get vetted by them uh, to make sure that it worked, and that we didn't exercise that, that that it would that it would slow us then later. Um, the other thing that's very important for us is that not only that we set them up that, that, but that we also don't do the work for them. So we've been spending a lot of time uh, ensuring that they are trained, that are really trained to not only sell the equipment, but they also that they have their own demo equipment, that they have their own uh, uh, technical staff that's trained on how to demonstrate the equipment, and that they can install and service the equipment. And it's a huge investment, just like you pointed out, but it's an investment that you must do in order to be sustainable. Because if all we're doing is having a front end that does nothing but serve coffee uh, at at the meeting, then we really don't have a distribution channel. And we just have a a lead finder and that's not what we're trying to do. We need these customers to be supported locally in a local way so that when there is a defect, both that uh, I have a problem with my application, or my machine broke down that it can be supported. But now the system, the the whole business is set up fundamentally correct. And we work pretty hard at that. Uh, And we now have 27 resellers, uh, mostly in Europe and North America. We just signed two resellers in the last 12 months in, in, um, South Korea and Japan, we're very excited about that. And so we, we're starting to expand into Asia, but when COVID hit, we said, let's focus in North America and Europe, let's, that's, let's, that, let's set that up correctly. And then when we this kind of goes by, we'll go re, revisit Asia. And And it met of um, of course, a lot of the market is North America and Europe, so it worked out okay. Then we'll go look at Asia uh, next year.
0: But one thing I have is like, I love this reseller strategy. It's, 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 it's a fundamentally difficult question for any OEM, right? Um, uh, and cause one hand it's great for capital. It spreads you around the world, gives you all that local support, but only if they do it correctly. Right. So I love that you're spending a lot of time on them. But how do you know which company to pick? You know how do you know the people that are interested that the Finnish guys are going to really do it there's going to be good cuz some of them are really small companies just two guys with an idea some of them are like really experienced but then they make copiers or they sell copiers you know I was like wait how do you it's, pick the it, right resource um
2: it's a it, we spent a lot of time so when we first started we were being successful in selling tactical tactically individual units and I called my friend Dave from GE Dave Jankowski and said Dave I'd like you to come and join me I'll keep getting individual sales, that, but what we really need to do is go find these distributors. And so we started uh, connecting with them and we started going to shows and we started talking, talking to people. and we found that there's a couple of distributor channels today in the marketplace that are available and that are very, very good, that have been in the business for 20, 30 years, and they don't have a metal line. Um, and so we found that there was a good match that we had a metal printer. And there was these strong distributor networks that didn't have a metal line. Um, and so if you think about uh, the Stratasys network, the HP network, that, that's the type of distributor we, we target because we find that they understand not only how to sell, but also how to sell capital equipment goods, not just order taking on, a, let's say, a prosumer customer base or a consumer printer. We need people that can actually do a technical sale. And be able to understand that then we need printer that can people that can buy a demo equipment that can do it locally we need people that can install the machines and have a capability to install complex machines and and service service them so a new company coming to i go around the world all over and there's always a small company saying well we're going to put a metal printer together and we're going to sell it and the three of us can do that tomorrow uh, if we wanted to And, and and we can the issue now is how do we go outside of selling to our buddies in our local neighborhood? And how do we support that printer around the world so that you can really be a, a company of scale? And to me today, not only is the technology a challenge, but if you want to start a company, there's also a, a challenge on how to go to market because there's not that many distributors available that will do what you just pointed out. Uh, and, and, and that is difficult. Uh, and it's a difficult challenge. You also have to be careful that they're going to give you what we call a share wallet or the time of day is another way of putting that. If you launch a product and and, and I see a little bit maybe the technology not ready um, when I see some of the machine builders that are in the marketplace. If you're a salesperson and, and, and you're 55 years old and you've been selling machine tools all your life and your average sales $3 million, $5 million and you sell 10 of them in a sale it's going to be hard to for that person to pay that time of day pay, the, pay attention to sell a printer at a hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand dollars and be i have to learn the technology and all that stuff so in, in just in a big summary there's not that many people that can do this and the channel is it's a competitive advantage frankly for for us
0: Okay. Uh, I think that's a good point. I think finding that right people that are interested, I think it's great that you brought the sales interest stuff because I have, I I saw this exact thing go wrong. Uh, I'm going to have to anonymize it at a company where, yeah, the sales, there was a big like kind of a distribution agreement, but the sales force just, it didn't make sense for them to sell the 3D printer, uh, 3D printed related product. Right? it just didn't make sense for them to 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 learn it, to spend time in it, to maybe get embarrassed on it, or maybe get asked questions they didn't understand. The bonus is coming from the regular stuff, so they're gonna focus on the regular stuff. You know, especially right. if you're if you're if you're giving somebody like maybe a base is quite low, but 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 their 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 bonus is extremely lucrative, that's exactly what you're gonna have them do, is focus on those big machines or the
2: big consumables or the
0: big deals that they know and understand.
2: Yeah. And we actually see that. Um we think that we were able to come into the marketplace because of that. You see uh, a lot of companies in powder bed um, focusing very large machines, and it's great. Uh, and, and, the, and those are beautiful machines. They're incredibly performing. It's just incredible what they do. That salesperson, when an average sale is $5 million, $15 million in one of these companies, is not going to want to sell ten, hundred $100,000 machines. And so the channel starts being an issue also for others to come down and say, oh, okay, well, now I'm going to pivot down. I'm going to go back and be uh, a distributor sales team. Well, hmm, how are you going to come down? Uh, and so we we actually launched the company to the premise that there was a window for us to, one, validate that there was a, a need for less expensive printers, but that the market was demanding higher space machines and and. Oil and gas machines and stuff, and people were going there, and there was an opening for for us or a couple other players to come in and focus on distributive uh, technologies, the pricing points that allow um, new markets and new entrants to to the marketplace, but do so with a very indirect sales and service strategy. And and luckily, or for us, that has not only validated that there was a need in the market, but also that this distribution strategy that I've picked up is working really well.
0: Okay. And then, yeah, because it's really interesting that you pointed this out earlier that uh, if you want to get a metal machine, you're maybe looking at a million-dollar-plus investment or something like this if you're buying a regular machine. And you have to do a lot of, like, preparation as well. you got Lindegoss uh, kind of contained all this. Where, where's the price difference? You, you don't have to go, Particularly into it, but you just generally like yeah, well, how compared to buying like a yes. you know, an M two ninety-ish kind of thing. What's the yeah, so, price difference? So generally? we aim
2: to be about a, a half to a third of the market price when we launch a product. And that's we aim sometimes we hit um, that sometimes we hit a little bit below that. But anything less than that is not worth the value it's not worth the, the, the time for a customer. If you don't provide significant difference in price, And while well, the risk of taking a new company from, small company from Pennsylvania trying to sell in Finland, it becomes an issue. So for us, we need to make sure that the price difference is there. What we are trying to do is is, is two things. Is one is allow small, medium enterprises, organizations, to be able to enter the space. Uh, for me, I, I just absolutely love it when I see a, a small company, uh, a small university, uh, even a technical school come into the technology and now be, start making whatever they do better. Uh, and 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 I see um, organ- places like the tooling market where the tooling industry doesn't have $3 million to invest on this, but they do have $100,000 to put into a printer, and it's their yearly CapEx budget. And so for, for us at these pricing points, we're finding that we can close... The deals a lot easier. Um, it does. It's not as risky for a small company to. You're not betting the company. You're betting the yearly capex budget. That, uh, that's a nice way of saying what I'm trying to say is, these pricing points allow you to enter the technology. We're not just saying, I'm actually betting my company here as small medium company, or a small university, or a small organization that just couldn't afford these pricing points. Um, just they had the idea, but it needed to be so big that they couldn't really get momentum to to get it going. Um, the second type of customer that we're trying to target is the distribution of the technology within large organizations. Uh, nobody, nobody likes to go to Central Lab, and I know that because I was GE a long time. Uh, the technology needs to be next to the operator, next to the technician, next to the engineer, next to the service center. It does not need to be in a central lab. If you start centralizing it, then, well, that's great for scale because you can't get the thing, the thing so expensive. You need to combine everything to a central lab, and only the engineer of the central lab likes that idea. Uh, if, if All the other engineers are saying, why is the machine not next to me? And we've seen that a lot. Uh, right now, one of our, um, we see organizations like the U.S. Army, which have Extremely different needs uh, all around the world at each of the bases, and those needs cannot be sacrificed, and it cannot go to central lab. So we see organizations like that really adopting our pricing points because it allows them to not only af- uh, afford the printer at a much easier price point, but and so they can buy within their budget constraints, but they can also not buy to so that it's at their base, and and we've seen that uh, nicely play out not only in places like organizations like the, the US Army, but we also seen that at, at different universities, at different uh, organizations, uh, companies. The other thing that we're seeing that it's a little bit of a surprise to me is that people are saying, look, 80% of the parts that I print fit on a 150 cubic millimeter billboard. Why do I need to buy such a big machine where I can just buy that I'm gonna fill with little parts where I can just buy your printer and start and then scale by a second one if it works and a third one if it really works and have more flexibility not only in part size but also in material changes and, and less risk on printing. So we're finding several uh, service bureaus are coming to us now and saying, and this is a little bit new to us, uh, but a nice surprise kind of fitting what we were launching, saying, look, I, I, I this does the job, and it does the job in a much more efficient basis than maybe a huge investment with less risk. And, and um, we like that. <laughs> That's kind of a new twist.
0: Okay. So do you feel you're making the market much bigger? Do you feel like you're getting, cause like you said, the tooling issue, less complex, smaller business. Is that really like, like what you're, where you see your functions being, or do you see yourself as, as, as winnowing into these bigger companies and just putting down more printers or less centralized units, or is it both?
2: Uh, well, uh, there's always a component of both, but our main mission is the, the, the former. Um, we, we think that the, if the market's going to continue to grow at these rates that we keep saying that it's going to grow, that it needs to come with new application spaces. And those application spaces will come by both high-performing machines like we see in the marketplace with multiple lasers and things like that that allow uh, more productivity and the business cases to be better, but it also comes by... Uh, affordability of the machines. Um, You look at what Formlabs has done on the SLS technology and and their Fuse system. I I think that bringing the prices down allows new people to come in that were never there, uh, both in terms of distribution of the technology, in terms of uh, pricing points, in terms of uh, barriers to be able to purchase the equipment. And we think that those application spaces will start expanding. Um, So we see our, our main focus to be that, of course, um, if we're able to serve somebody that can then start the journey and expand their business with our product, we, we will help them. But uh, And that, that's great. But our, we just think that the bigger market is to go after the unserved market that hasn't been able to start. Those applications, I think, are going to develop. And, and the, the challenge is now is, uh, okay, we... I always like to say that everything times zero is still zero. So there's us and a couple of companies trying to do this journey, and we're starting to be successful, and then we see that the, the growth rates are better than what we see in the market, but it's on a small number. And so so now, okay, let's wait. Let's say two years from now, now we are doing um, X million dollars, 10, 20, 30, 50 million dollars together, or maybe uh, as a whole. We Can can we get there? Is the market that big that it will take take that type of number? You see some of the opportunities that we are doing um, being picked up. We're picking some opportunities that some of the the, the larger players have left. They've focused in on the larger machines, So we're seeing that we're picking some of their, I don't want to call it craps, or the people, they decided to focus in larger segments. And so the bet is, uh, and the question is, can we actually do it? Is there a market big enough for this? Our growth rates say that it is. Um, we're growing faster than we see in the other um, larger machines. How sustainable, how long? That's the multi-million-dollar question. And we'll have to see. I, I, I'm bullish about it. I don't I believe it's there. I see it in people's eyes. I, I, just, I, I go to Formix. And this time at Formix, it's the first time that I went and I saw people telling their friends, go look at Exact Metal. They have what you want. And to me, that was a big fundamental. So we're starting to be recognized as a person, a group that you can come and have the products that have what people are looking for. And we're starting to see many of our target personas, our target customers, and and I like that a lot. Um, how many of there are there? Can it really grow to be fifty um, percent of all the space, or twenty percent, or whatever percent of the space of all powder bed? That's a big question. I I I I think so, but I don't know. <laughs>
0: okay and and how do you make the machine cheap then without making it well still getting it to perform how do you do that value engineering portion because yeah how do you take everything away that you don't need and not take too much
2: away that kind of thing so the phone that you have now uh it's it's a lot more performing and it costs the same as before and so i see a lot of the technology today that in the older machines as outdated and um they have all all architectures and the software. They have all control systems, they, and a lot of that is getting cheaper, better, faster. And we we target that very hard. We we assemble the machine in less than ten days. Assemble and test the machine in ten days. We barely touch the material in terms of uh, inventory costs. We we focus on getting. We don't sacrifice the part quality uh, in regards to picking up. If, I'll give you an example. If you come into a space and say, I, I use a CO2 laser, you're dead on arrival. Uh, so you must have a good laser and a fiber laser that does the job and things like that. Uh, so we cannot sacrifice on that. But after you have a good laser and a good gavel, you, you can start attacking those cost structures. When you look at uh, some of our larger competitors, they're designing to performance. They're, they're not designing to cost. They're designing to performance. They never have had to design to cost none of them look at a look um, and I don't want to put names but just just no machines. no no we, we got your right, name whatever that you want yeah. to and those <laughs> machines are absolutely beautiful but they've never have really said I'm gonna now not not focus on performance but I'm gonna focus on cost structures and and so we are wholly I mean honed in on designing to cost we pick modern control structures modern architecture more, modern vendors and we also Make the machines in central Pennsylvania and, and we don't have fancy offices and fancy buildings and fancy cars and fancy suits we just kind of really focusing on making sure that our cost structure as a company can support our pricing points but also be fundamentally sound so that it is a truly uh, a sustainable company uh, not just uh, we're just doing it on price I mean it, it and, and we never have a business model uh, and luckily for us this year i i, I don't say a lot this but i'll i'll tell it here um this year uh out of um we we're, we're turning the corner out of uh, this will be our 11th month out of 11 months uh all but four have been profitable so what's that uh, Six, seven, seven six, seven, seven months yeah. are profitable at, at the net income uh, level not even at the om level or operating margin level so for me we are we're doing it and And people ask me this question all the time, Yoris. And oh, how do you do it? We're just doing it. And we've been doing it for seven years and it's those are the pricing points. And now we're very careful to configure a machine. Our machines are highly configurable. So we can go to a customer that says, I'm super value and I just need to get started and I'm just super, super, super uh, concerned on price. Or we go to a customer that, is concerned on price but needs performance and so we can develop a machine that's performing with one laser at 100 watts and it does a great job or we can confirm put a machine that has two lasers 400 watts together and still meet the idea that is less expensive but uh, uh but be able to configure the machine at different price points and and that's been very good for us because we're able to then match i call it segmenting the demand curve which is not technically correct but it puts the idea that like when you buy a car, you, you need a different performance and not, not everything is one car, right? And so you need the car needs to be modified in a way that does that. And we do with a, stand, a standard set of configurations that allows us to segment the customer base.
0: But are you gonna to, going to like pull a Toyota and like come in with like the low low, low cost, but like yeah, low cost cars, then you pull in like the the you know, you make them a little bit more and then all of a sudden they get electric window, then Lexus. Oh yeah, is that what you're gonna do? Or yeah. are you gonna stay with the making
2: a
1: Maserati?
2: I think this industry is going through a tremendous change right now. Um it's going I love your articles that you've done recently about it needs to generate value and not be paid by investors like me. Um, it, the idea that you're just going to have fancy shows and fancy meetings and burn it all in parties needs to stop. Um, we need to, customers need to pay for the value and not investors. And so I think that the industry is changing, is creating. And I, in my answer to what you just said, is you need to segment yourself and focus where you really add value if you go pick a battle everywhere you're just not going to win and the industry is getting big enough that it allows for the segmentation to occur you just you're going to see the patents have expired the there are new players there's a lot of people trying to come in um and there's maybe a lot of people focus on the bells and whistles of flashiness and and I think that if you don't find yourself creating value in a very focused, focused, market-driven way where customers are paying the bill, you're not going to succeed. And two, um, if you are doing that, you're going you're to prosper. Uh, and we find ourselves doing that. We're finding ourselves that where we are focused, which is allowing to expand the application space, it's, it's working. Uh, we won't, um, and we're just going to continue to work on that.
0: Okay. and and where where do you hope to be like in let's say in five years or so do you hope to be a much bigger company what's your you know where where do you hope to be in a couple of years from now?
2: We just want to continue to succeed in this journey we we're introducing um the two hundred g it's doing really well um uh that's the small hundred and fifty cubic millimeter build printer that you can configure at different price points, but it's doing well. um we are introducing high performance into that machine to allow different people to do things still at a lower price. And then we launched a 300G printer um, that we are unfortunately behind. The 200G took us more than we thought in terms of um, sustaining engineering. And you launch a printer and you always have teething problems with it. So we had to go fix a couple of things and, and that's fine. But the three, we're excited about the mid midsize printer because we think that there is a market for not all parts fit on a small printer. And so we need to design a larger printer that allows... Um, our same value creation that we've been talking all along here uh, to be available on a, a, a larger printer. And we're excited about the machine because we think that that machine will find a good way into people that need to print bigger parts or want more flexibility. And after that, I don't see us doing much larger printers than that because there's for us, we focus on where there's volume. Uh, we like the idea of having many customers in many places and many distribu- sold through a distributor organizational structure and sales. Um and, and we now we we don't there's no need for us to be in a in a space that is fully served and maybe overserved in the larger printers. Um so I see us stopping that. And, and this what what we just said about these two printer sizes, that's the next five years, you know, not uh, your yours. And it will take that long uh for us to do that. And 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 that journey is going to be really fun, very exciting. Uh, very, uh, I'm very, very excited at how the market's reacting to us, how customers are reacting, how our sales partners are performing. And I think it's a journey that's very achievable. And we want to, our, our, my vision for excitement in the next five years is that a strong, solid company that's performing uh, correctly financially and that is meeting the customer needs and uh, opening the marketplace.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Homario. This is a really wonderful. and It's great to learn more about your company. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for the time. I really enjoyed the discussion. I look forward to seeing you also in New York in, uh, in a couple months. All right. And uh, thanks for being here, Max.
1: Yeah, no, it's great when we find companies that are succeeding and doing great things. So thank you, George.
0: All right. Thank you for listening as well. This is another episode of the 3D Pod, and you have a great day. You've been listening to The 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at
2: 3dprint underscore com.